0: Thanks to Slack for supporting The Motley Fool. Slack is a messaging app which brings together all your team's communications in one place, making work simpler and more productive. Go to www.slack.com to learn more. And thanks to Harry's for supporting The Motley Fool. Get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel. Go to harrys.com fool.
1: It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co founder David Gardner.
0: Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. I'm David Gardner. A delight to have you joining with me this week and not with just me, with us, because I'm joined by three of my favorite analysts here at the Motley Fool, members of my Rule Breakers and Stock Advisor teams, respectively. From right to left around the table, I see Jim Mueller from Stock Advisor. I see Brandon Matthews from Stock Advisor. I see David Kretzman from Rule Breakers. Now, I say that, guys, but I know each of you is working across multiple aspects of our business. Anybody who's a Supernova member would know each of those three names if you're following some of our missions. So We're very motley at The Fool. We do lots of different things. Nobody has a single colored jester cap. It's always the motley thing. Guys, thanks a lot for joining in. Thank you, David. So, we're going to do what I said we were going to do last week. Last week, we shared with you five Brexit-inspired stock picks that I made a year ago, and we checked in with how they were doing, and I had a lot of fun learning a few lessons along that half hour with you about those companies. And I said, this week, I wanted to do something different, and that's what we're doing. So, there's a phrase out there, if you're a longtime investor, you've probably heard the phrase, story stocks. And the idea of story stocks are you know, these might be stocks that you would buy where you don't even check the numbers so much. It's just kind of like, thinking like a Hollywood director, this meets this, and you're like, there's a story there, and I'm just going to go ahead and just buy into that ahead of time. Maybe you're thinking these days about some of the miracles that are happening in biotechnology. I saw that the FDA was unanimously recommended to approve the first gene therapy treatment in history last week, and that was Novartis's leukemia therapy. So, amazing things are happening. And you might just think, maybe I should just buy Novartis for that. There's a great story behind that. Um, sometimes people are cynical about the phrase story stocks. It implies maybe you haven't done your research. It's just a story, you don't really know what you're talking about. And people who buy stocks along those lines often don't do that well. Well, the Rule Breaker in me likes the phrase story stocks because I think thinking right-brained, thinking qualitative, thinking about the story does count for more often than you would think from people who are using computer algorithms or screens or just pure numbers to do their investing. So I kind of like it, but we are rule breakers here. So we're flipping the phrase this week. We're not going to do story stocks, we're going to do stock stories. So each of Jim, Brandon, and David have brought a couple of stories from the Supernova Universe. These are the companies that I've recommended through Rule Breakers and Stock Advisor over the years. And there's a story in every one of these more than 200 stocks. There's a story to relate, to listen to, and to learn from. And I asked these talented friends of mine to just look through those 200 or so companies, and what are a couple of stories that they wanted to tell from this universe with a lesson, like I think any good didactic story would bring. So, we're trying this out. This is our first time. This is Stock Stories Volume 1. With that as preamble, let's get started. So, we're going to do these six stocks, six of them this week alphabetically, by ticker symbol. And the first one up, the ticker symbol is ATVI. The company, Jim Mueller, is?
1: Activision Blizzard.
0: And just because we're having fun this week, let's start each of our stories with Once Upon a Time. So, Jim, begin.
1: Once upon a time, there was a fool by the name of Jim Mueller with the name TMF Tortoise. And I chose that name based on my belief that patience is a necessary component to successful investing. For members of Stock Advisor who have been investing in Activision Blizzard over the years, patience has been required. Indeed. So you made, David made his uh, third recommendation of Activision Blizzard on September 19, 2008, two months after Activision merged with Vivendi's Blizzard division. That was at a dividend-adjusted price of $15.83. Unfortunately, the share price fell over the next few months, and at the beginning of 2009, it was trading at just above $9 a share. And then the share price sat there, and sat there, <laughs> and sat there, bouncing between ten and about 12 and a half or so, for four long years. Four
0: years. The stock market, Jim, was doing pretty well over that period. Yeah, it was. And Activision Blizzard, a company that we that was the third recommendation of it in stock advisor, a company that I know we both really admire, literally just in a trading band so narrow. Great earnings would come out; stock would sell off or not move. Bad earnings would come out; it wouldn't move
1: too much. Keep no, going. Nothing would budget. It wasn't until February 2013 that the share price finally got above thirteen dollars a share and stayed there. There was some, but not a lot, of justification for that kind of share performance, as you're saying, not including the effect of the merger. Revenue growth wasn't very exciting; it's only about four and a half percent a year on average. Net income, however, was going growing pretty well. It grew from it almost uh, tripled over that uh, between two thousand twelve and two thousand nine, from about four hundred million to about one point one billion, and the company was consistently generating over a billion dollars that's billion with a B dollars in annual free cash flow, though that was growing only about the same speed as revenue was. So there was reason for why the heck is this not moving? Or of course it's not moving. It wasn't in trouble. It wasn't. It just wasn't exciting. Nothing was happening. And the share price just I was
0: playing out. its games. I still <laughs> I love Diablo. Diablo 3 came out somewhere around that time. Well, if
1: you're invested in the company and you, and you get your excitement from a rising share price, nothing was happening.
0: You're right. I was having a lot of fun. Then Hearthstone came along, a game I love. But you're right. From, from, from a financial standpoint, or really from a stock market standpoint, right. stock story, it was
1: unexciting. And we got a lot of people on the Stock Advisor discussion board saying, hey, what's going on? Why aren't the shares moving? I mean, low debt, lots of free cash flow. What's going on, guys? What made it worse, of course, David, you referred to this, is that those four years were the first four years of the bull market we're still in, where it seemed as if everything else was going up. Finally, though, in 2013, something happened to finally wake the share price up. What that was, or what we believe it to be, is that part of the merger between uh, Activision and Blizzard, which was Vivendi, Vivendi is the owner of Blizzard, or yes, was the, the owner
0: French of French mega media company, right? They Vivendi, own. if you will. Vivendi. I don't really <laughs> say that, but having taken the high school AP in French, in which I received the score of two for my advanced placement effort, um, I, I know that it's something like Vivendi. So I'm, I'm assuming some of our international listeners don't really know the advanced placement tests here in the United States, but. You're scored from one to five, where five is you're awesome and you're going to be placing out of this in your uh, undergraduate studies I received to keep going, Jim.
1: Vivendi or Vivondi or however you say it, (laughs) they owned about 60% of the combined company of Activision Blizzard. So that might have been one reason why the shares weren't moving around, because people were wondering what Vivendi was going to do. However, in July of that year, 2013, they announced that they were going to sell their stake to a group of investors, including CEO Bobby Kotick. After that, revenue started growing more strongly. Since then, it's been up about 8.5% a year, almost twice as uh, much as it had been before. But net income is actually lower than it was in 2012. But cash flow is up about 65% since then, about 12.5% a year. And the share price, well, the share price of the stock is up to 60 bucks. $60 a share. A little under 16 when you recommended it to $60. But all of that happened after 2013. So we, we like to talk about the, the share price average, the, the compounded av- annual growth rate. Right. So from 15, from your recommendation price to the $60 level, it's about a four-bagger, almost a four-bagger since that uh, recommendation in late 2008, which Mm -hmm. is 16.4% annualized. But that's not what we experienced. We experienced a flat, 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 oh look, it's going up uh, story on the stock. So the lesson here is if a company is performing well enough and is in good financial shape, which Activision Blizzard certainly was, Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't sneeze at a billion dollars in free cash flow and no debt or very little debt, It often pays just to sit there and wait for good things to happen. I mean, we can't know the future. We can't know. We could not have known that Vivendi was going to sell its stake. We couldn't have known that it was going to launch Skylanders and Overwatch, uh, two very popular franchises. We couldn't know that uh, Activision Blizzard is getting into esports. But if you're patient and you uh, have a good company and good management, patience pays off, which is what the tortoise teaches us in the end.
0: Jim, great job. I'm going to give you a quick clap. This is the first stock story ever told on on Rule Breaker Investing. And your AP score is a five (laughs) for your effort. Thank you, Jim. That's Activision Blizzard. That's our first stock story this week. Thanks, David. Next up, this one, again, alphabetically, we go to the letter E next. The ticker symbol is EA, although I once thought of it, I continue to think of it as E R T S, David Kretzman. That's right, because Electronic Arts was once ERTS but changed their its ticker symbol to EA in recent years.
2: That's right. Well, once upon a time, back in the day, in April 2002, in the, just the second issue ever of Stock Advisor David, uh-huh. Electronic Arts was your second ever pick uh, in the service. And I'm gonna share a few quotes from your various recommendations and calls over the year so we'll have some fun with this
0: okay <laughs> it, I don't know what's coming I'm definitely looking forward to this
2: it paints a good picture for you I think so I, I wouldn't don't think worry so. too much.
0: I wouldn't think so but keep going all right
2: well we'll see so in this first write-up you said Electronic Arts is an undisputed number one in video game software you used a lot of their uh, you played a lot of their games you still do games yep that call turned out to be pretty good over the next year the stock goes up a bit uh, in September 2003, you make uh, a re-recommendation of Electronic Arts and Stock Advisor. And you go so far as to say, David, that if The Motley Fool got bought out by some mega-media corporation that promptly fired the two founding brothers, you would rapidly deliver your resume to just one company, Electronic Arts. Okay. So, painting a picture of how much you love this company. <laughs> and fast-forwarding a couple years after that, you re it a third time in Stock Advisor, and you said, Electronic Arts remains one of my favorite companies for the next decade or more. So, so far, so good. The stock price went up between each of those recommendations. I was in love, David. I'd I, forgotten this. Clearly, this there's a there's a deep romance brewing here, David. That, that's what I'm picking up from reading these uh, early issues. It's
0: not going to end that prettily, but keep going. Well,
2: in 2007, as Jim pointed out before me, the two dark villains from the South merge into one supervillain, Activision Blizzard, and they become the new number one in the video game space. And Electronic Arts starts to get out innovated. They're late to multiplayer online gaming, which is what Blizzard did. Digital and social media gaming, they're behind the curb. So that brings us to a fateful day, December 17th, 2010, when you and your team recommend selling all three of those uh, recommendations.
0: From Motley Full Stock Advisor, yeah, so, which we did.
2: Leaving the Supernova Universe. Yes.
0: And. They they were loser positions. I'm pretty sure they were all down more. They
2: were all down more than fifty percent. Ouch! And the market was up over that time, so, so they're pretty significant losers at that so point. We
0: had shown patience. We waited seven, eight years in order to watch our profits go to losses and watch the S and P 500 race past us for the company that I was saying that was the one company I would go to work for if if I got fired from the Motley Fool. But alas, no more. This is very sad.
2: Very sad. And in the meantime, you had replaced your love with Take-Two Interactive and Rule Breakers and Activision Blizzard and Stock Advisor. You moved on from Electronic Arts. And a direct quote from that uh, December 2010 issue, you said, We've seen nothing to convince us that the company has what it takes to be a come-from-behind winner. Well, I'll just give a little sneak peek or preview of the ending story here. Since that December 17th, 2010 date, yes." the top performer out of Electronic Arts, Activision Blizzard, Take-Two Interactive, and s 500 is Electronic Arts, Ouch! up 596%. <laughs> so, what happened? Imagine
0: well, how sad I was selling at the time, and it was even sadder than I was thinking that I was, because it was completely the wrong decision.
2: But, uh, for the next couple of years, it actually looked like a smart decision to sell. Uh, the stock was down or flat over the next two years the S&P 500 was up 18% over that period. So for 2 years after that sell decision, it absolutely looked like the smart thing to do. The company continued to struggle, meanwhile Take-Two Interactive and Activision Blizzard continued to do pretty well in terms of the stock prices. But then in 2013, the company brought on a new CEO from down under, Andrew Wilson. So Andrew Wilson, he really helped <laughs> turn around the 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 culture of the company, uh, changing it to a player first culture really pushing the company toward that digital gaming space. And that innovation really paid off. And and since that point the stock has taken off and it's really been the as I mentioned, the top performer out of Activision Blizzard and mm. Take Two Interactive. And David, your your love started to get reignited over the years. You said, well actually maybe this is a comfort <laughs> behind winner.
0: We went to high school together I'm now my fifth marriage, potentially, no, maybe? You went, you went
2: to college, you had a job, you had a new perspective in life. And in June 2016, you recommended it in Rule Breakers. So, bring it back to the Supernova universe, but not in Stock Advisor, but in Rule Breakers. And luckily, since that point, it's been a happy ending so far. The stock is up 48% versus about a 20% gain for the S&P 500. So, a very murky, will-they-won't-they they relationship over the years, David. Tumultuous. Right. But uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that it has a happy ending so far.
0: Thank you very much. the end very nice. Thank you, David Kretzman, Electronic Arts. So we have four more for you, but first. Thanks to Slack for supporting our podcast. Slack is a messaging app which brings together all of your team's communications in one place, making your working lives simpler and more productive. With Slack, you can reduce emails and streamline your team's communication. It allows you to organize your team with real-time messaging, video or voice calls, group file sharing, searchable archives, all in one easy-to-use app. In fact, we use it here at The Motley Fool. We've used it for years. and I every single day appreciate Slack and what it's done for The Motley Fool. It helps us save time and improves our productivity. No more searching through emails for that one follow-up or searching through multiple systems to find what you're looking for. This is an easy and convenient work-everywhere kind of an app. It works for both iOS and Android, and it syncs seamlessly so you can always pick up where you left off, no matter where you are. Slack, where work happens. Find out why at slack.com. From the letter E, we go next to the letter F, Brendan
3: Matthews, once upon a time. So I take you back to the year 1636. We're in the Massachusetts <laughs> Bay Colony. The great and general court votes to begin a, to start a school to found uh, to train ministers. This goes on to be a, a somewhat illustrious school, but it doesn't really get interesting till about 2004 for me at least. That's when a group of students, one of whom Mark Zuckerberg, launched a website. Ah. That website? Facebook. Uh, as an investor, it gets really interesting in 2013 when Facebook decides to go public. Probably, you remember the hype around this IPO. At the time, it was one of the largest ever. Uh, and It was it was dramatic. Uh, the shares were initially priced to be at about $38, which was towards the upper end of the range, yes. there was there was a lot of drama associated with this um, IPO. Not only the the corporate structure, but just before the IPO, General Motors pulled their their ad budget, saying it wasn't effective. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg had uh, meetings wearing a hoodie that really upset people. He came <laughs> off very arrogant, uh, but still a very exciting IPO. Uh, it was priced at thirty eight dollars by the underwriters. That day, demand pushed it up to forty-five dollars a share. Okay. Um, that that proved to be unsustainable. By the end of May, it went public in May of 2013. By the end of May, it was down to twenty-eight dollars a share. Uh, it was down to twenty dollars, uh, a low in that summer. So all the critics could say, "That's a busted IPO. Uh, this company is nothing but
0: hype." And I remember it well, and it's not so very long ago. It does feel long ago now, Brandon. But this is just f- four years ago.
3: It was, yeah, four years ago. Four years ago. And do you remember
0: the headlines failed IPO? And what I remember saying at the time was I was kind of sad about this because one of the things the Motley Fool is trying to do is convince as many people as possible to invest and to care and to invest in the things that we know and love. And so I thought it was going to be a great story that so many people know Facebook. A lot of people are going to get a new interest in the stock market by buying Facebook stock. And all of a sudden, it's gotten pancaked, it's gotten halved in just a few months. And I was pretty sad at that moment.
3: Yeah, and uh, it was recommended for Rule Breakers almost right before the bottom. So, in July of that year, it was $29 a share was the purchase price. Uh, it went down the next month to as low as $20. Uh, fortunately, you you and your team stuck with it, recommended it again in October at $23 a share. And from there, it's almost just been mostly up to the right with, with a few bumps, but it's just been up and up and up. Right now, it's almost $160 a share. And those initial recommendations, those first two are up. One's one's uh, better than a five bagger. Another's almost a seven bagger. And what I think is really interesting. Surprising, about, yeah. Amazing. What I think Four is, years. I I don't want to. We're
0: not definitely not here to pound our chests because some of our stories are sad, and we've already had one that was kind of sad but it's remarkable to me that a company of that size has actually been a five or a seven bagger in just, just four years. Keep going, Brendan. Thank you.
3: Well, and this is the part where I, I do what scriptwriters are never supposed to do, and I, I write myself into the story, <laughs> because I was one of those initial uh, critics. I, I took sort of some schottenfreude. Uh, I don't know if you- It's I, a beautiful
0: I, German word. Taking joy at others' damage.
3: Uh, and and I, I, I had some very real concerns about the company. I didn't think that they were Monetizing their users, I think they were generating revenue of about four dollars per monthly average user. Uh, but, and I thought uh, Zuckerberg was not a visionary. I thought he was arrogant. Uh, but I watched the company for a few years, and I saw, I was wrong. And so, uh, it's the it's a often misattributed to Keynes. But when the facts change, you change your mind. Mm. And this is a stock that I think a lot of people were wrong on, um, but they've had ample opportunity. To be right on uh, David in Odyssey two, we've we've recommended um, Facebook. It was one of our early recommendations. It was it was in 2016, but we got it at 120 dollars a share. So we're already up nicely, even being very late. We're not so the rule breakers team was obviously very early to this story, but you don't have to be there immediately, and it's possible to sort of change your mind and still get great great gains. Um, in 2015, 2016, 2017, I personally got a double on this, and I, I think it's you should be willing to change your mind as the facts change and be wrong. Sometimes, you, sometimes you can be late to the party and still win. The end.
0: And there were some great lessons. You were packing two or three important lessons right in at the end there, Brandon. Um, something about being willing to admit when we're wrong and just changing our minds. And we can all look back when that's worked for us in life and say, those are inflection points for us when we really did take the time to change our minds. And, and just the, the perception that it was failed. Or how about just how well it has done in a short time. Those are all pretty surprising. Brandon, before we move on to the next, do you think that Mark Zuckerberg will run for president within the next 10 years?
3: Yes. And the reason I say that is because he's. So I think he has a lot of big ideas, a lot of things he's doing, but also this new tour he's doing where he's sort of secretly going around and meeting with the, you know, shaking hands with the average folks. It's
0: grassroots. Uh, Yeah. He's got a whistle stop tour going while he's being CEO of Facebook. Um, Will you be voting for Mark Zuckerberg? Uh, That's TBD. Next stock story, story number four. We return to David Kretzmann, we go to the letter G. The ticker symbol G P R O. David, GoPro, a company that I recommended for Motley Fool rule breakers. Uh, one that you and I know pretty well. This is a is this a sad story?
2: This is not a happy story. This is
0: not a happy story. Definitely. Tell not.
2: it. Once upon a time, back in early 2014, GoPro announced that it intended to go public sometime during the summer that year. Mm. And before the IPO, before the company was even publicly traded, the rule breakers team. Several members on the Rule Breakers team were very interested in the company. They they saw the prospectus or the S one filing with the SEC and they thought, well, this is a, a quickly growing company. It created a whole category with the action cameras, these small, versatile cameras that can really withstand any sort of force on them and they capture unique perspectives of the world that other cameras or smartphones can't.
0: And extreme sports, yeah. high mountain peaks. Surfing, I mean, we've all seen all the it. footage. It's remarkable. It's beautiful. It's stunning.
2: Yeah, exactly. and It it was actually the number one brand channel on YouTube. They had several million subscribers. The amount of engagement and views of their videos were growing very quickly on YouTube and other platforms like Xbox. So This was a camera company that was taking steps, we thought, to move toward becoming more of a media company and more of a software company, helping people capture really unique insights, then edit and share those insights with the world, and GoPro could actually use those videos and all all, all the the captured content on some sort of media platform. So, this was a company with a big vision. It had a young 39-year-old founder and CEO, Nick Woodman, who still owned 44% of shares after the IPO. He had a huge vision and a lot of passion for the company. So, there are a lot of different things that we liked with GoPro.
0: That's right. A lot of pattern recognition for us as Rule Breakers about what works in investing. And we always know we're going to take our lumps. And maybe, not to spoil your ending, but maybe we've taken a a really hard lump with this one. But it did, and still does, conform to many of the traits that we look for in winning companies.
2: Yeah, exactly. And in June 2014, the company went public at $24 a share. Okay. traded to over thirty dollars a share on its first day of trading. Mm. Within a few months, by the end of September, the stock had more than tripled to over eighty dollars a share. And meanwhile we had some people on the Rule Breakers scene thinking, man, there's a lot to like here. Should we get it into rule breakers? And in October 2014, we did. Uh, on October 22nd, we recommended the stock at about $80 a share, and it actually come down a little bit from above $90 a share at the time.
0: And, David, um, since I make all final calls for Rule Breakers and Stock Advisor, this one is totally on me. Um, I think that it was an idea that you helped bring to the team. It was. And it was one that I sat on for several months, as we watched the stock go from 30 to 50 to 70. Finally I'm starting to think maybe we should get some of this to 90. Drops back as you mentioned to 80. So I was a little bit maybe we would have had a much lower still losing cost basis. <laughs> Don't spoil I, it. Had I had I acted more decisively more early.
2: Yep and by the end of 2014 the the stock did drop but it was still above $65 a share so it's still in the high 60s the the company blew it out of the the water for that holiday season with its hero 4 camera the, the, the company was executing very well at the time, and it was really kind of the the hot consumer electronic gadget of that holiday season. so it con- continued each quarter to beat analyst expectations, so we kept pounding our chest saying we 're right about this company, and so far, Wall Street has been very wrong and underestimated the company. But that brings us to 2015, where the company started to run into some pretty serious operational issues, and they lost sight of what got them to that point, which was really great and simple products that were easy to use. So, they they released a a Session camera, which was a small camera about the size of an ice cube. They priced it at $400, but within a couple months, because it wasn't selling well, they had to drop the price to $200. They had six different cameras. as a very convoluted, complex product line that was just not very intuitive for uh, an end user to follow. And by the end of 2015, going through all of these different operational issues and missing their, their quarterly results, the stock had dropped to $16 a share by the end of the year.
0: Go ahead, keep going. <laughs>
2: it's just so painful. And, oh, and they also had come out with the Karma drone, or, or they had tried to come out with a Karma drone, but that product had been delayed. And by the time it actually was released to the market, yep. within two weeks, they had to recall. Every single one. So the company—it's a disaster. Yeah, just nothing was going right for the company, and that brings us to 2016, where the stock was sputtering along. The company was losing money, uh, growth had totally collapsed. They're burning cash, and by December of last year, 2016, uh, the company had to start a round of layoffs. They've, since that point, they've had multiple rounds of layoffs. They shut down their media entertainment segment, so that big vision that we had for GoPro Our initial thesis. our initial thesis completely got shut down at that point, so within a couple years of the IPO. And that brings us to today, where the stock is trading for just over $8 a share. $8 a share it just,
0: from, from 80 my first pick of it.
2: it. It has been a rough ride. So From our initial uh, cost basis, the stock is down 90% versus a nearly 35% gain for the SP 500. So Things this is just
0: a little bit more. This has
2: been a brutal first stock that I brought into Rule Breakers with you, David. <laughs> this, this one really
0: hurts. Uh, David, it's it's always on me. Uh, the way that I think of it is that every loser is on me and every winner is on whoever picked it. And uh, you've had your fair share. So. But this 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 is a, a fascinating company. It remains an active recommendation of ours. Yep. Right? It remains actively covered by Rule Breakers. Maybe eight eight dollars is the charm.
2: Maybe. it has to be a ten bagger to get back to our original cost basis, but hey, stranger things have happened. The end.
0: All right. Thank you, David Kretzman. And um you know, David, what I think you what you brought to the podcast this week was two kind of sad stories. Electronic arts, the tumultuous love affair that's arguably destroyed more value than it's created, although it's in a nice place. And then GoPro. And it my tendency is probably to talk too much About winners on this podcast. So, thank you for being the Dark Angel. Thank you for being Empire Strikes Back for this week's Rule Breaker Investing. (laughs) All right. So, we have two more. But before we get to those, one more thank you. This time to Harry's for supporting our podcast. For decades, one big razor company has, well, increased prices here and there. And Maybe reap some profits at the expense of the rest of its competitors, and that is until Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who thought there could be something better, started Harry's to fix shaving. And I'm a Harry's customer. I appreciate both the blades and the shaving cream, and Harry's has supported the Motley Fool really since early days of our podcasts. Harry's is so confident that you will love their blades, they're going to give you a trial set for free. So, all you have to do is pay $3 to cover the shipping. As we like to say around these parts, stop messing around, get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming your free trial offer. That's a $13 value for free, just cover shipping. By the way, that includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover to get your free trial set including razor handle 5 blade cartridge and shave gel go to harrys.com/fool right now that's harrys.com/fool all right Brandon Matthews I loved your start last time you took us back to the 17th century I don't know how you're going to start
3: Kinder Morgan the ticker symbol KMI stock story number 5 so once upon a time the most admired company in America was Enron this was the late 90s. Uh, the company was a diversified energy giant, but really they found they were making money, or supposedly making the most money, from energy trading operations. So, what they wanted to do was focus all of their capital and all of their uh, energy on energy trading. Like a platform that energy companies would come in and just trade back and forth with. Yeah, so they initially had owned uh, power plants, pipelines, things of that kind, yep. and they they found it was really too much trouble to actually own the the generation or transmission of the power. They thought it was better to just sort of trade it, and and it seemed like that way at the time. So they were going to focus on uh, trading, and they were going to even apply it to other areas like broadband, for instance, different commodities. And so what they were doing is they were going to get rid of some of their pipeline. Uh, some of their pipelines. So they sold one of these pipelines, I think it was for $325 million to two roommates, I think from the University of Missouri, Richard Kinder and William Morgan. Uh, this was in 1997. They took that pipeline. They bought other pipelines. They merged. They briefly went private with a private equity company. Fast forward to 2012. They're the largest energy infrastructure company in the United States. They are recommended in Stock Advisor for a purchase price of about $35 a share. I think it had a pretty fat dividend at that time, about 5%. The company was organized in a very Um, complicated way where there was subsidiary MLPs, and they would raise money for new projects by issuing shares on which they would pay a a dividend. It was a somewhat tenuous financing scheme. It was extremely lucrative at the time, nothing illegal or untoward about it. It was the standard practice. But Mm -hmm. it, it introduced a huge dependency on investors being willing to buy more shares. As soon as investors stop being able to buy more shares, uh, you essentially can't pay that dividend, so you can't attract more investors. So This sort of negative circle uh, comes on the company. Uh, this is in basically 2015. So, the stock uh, really, really takes a big hit. So When we had bought it, it had gone from $35 up to about 45 paying a nice Feeling
0: great at that moment, Brennan, right?
3: We, yeah, we had thought we had, we had done a great job uh, Finding a high yielding
0: dividend-like investment for our members in a, a very stable company, and it was riding high. Keep going.
3: And then we saw things came apart very, very rapidly. Uh, as the company announced that it wouldn't be able to raise additional funds, uh, there was concerns that it would be able to pay its debt. It ended up folding in its uh, limited partnership subsidiaries, and we saw the shares go from $45 to below 15 Ouch. And this was a company that has long-term contracts with fixed prices. Essentially, it's a it's a regulated utility in a lot of senses. So that's a huge, huge fall uh, that we're pretty uh, disappointed in. So still
0: licking our wounds. Still, still licking our Pool wounds. In Molly Fool Stock Advisor, and a lot of members who probably own some KMI.
3: Yeah. So the company is sort of still rebuilding. They've cut the dividend. They're funding themselves internally. It's gone up from sort of like $11 a share back up to 19. So the shares that we recommended at 35, that went to 45 and are now at 19, that's a big loss. Uh, But the company is still uh, in business, still growing. The one thing that uh, people should keep in mind though that might cushion the blow is along the way, uh, members who bought at $35 a share would have received $7 in dividends. So you're not down as much as you think. And this is one that is still an active recommendation. we think it can come back. I think just the lesson is when you see these huge drops in a business that's otherwise the actual business is pretty steady, it's those financing aspects. The 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 way that they were financing by issuing additional equity to fund a dividend to build more projects. We saw a, a hard spike in an otherwise, you know, rock solid business. The end.
0: Very nice, Brandon. You know, this is a company that in Motley Fool Stock Advisor has been picked both by me and by my brother Tom and Team Tom. And I think, even though we don't coordinate these things at all, I am basically blind, we're competing as brothers, so I don't know what the other guy is doing, but I think Tom made it a best buy now in Motley Fool Stock Advisor last month, and I know that I and my team made it a best buy now in Motley Fool Stock Advisor last month, which means we sent a double signal, not intending that necessarily to members, because if they, and I know a lot of Stock Advisor members listen to this podcast, you saw both brothers saying they like KMI here at these prices. Uh, Brendan, in closing on this one, how much do you think this was a story of mismanagement? And how much was this a story of, wow, oil prices really dropped and we weren't expecting that?
3: I think it's it, as always. It's a combination of both. But I think what these guys are doing with the financing scheme is they were they're running pretty hot and leaving themselves a small margin for error. And so when oil and gas prices took a hit, even though it was a it was a small dent in their business, when you're leveraged, a small dent is is multiplied. And I think that's that's what hit them.
0: Awesome. We have one more stock left, and Jim Mueller. That stock is a stock that you and I know and love, possibly too well. But it's hard not to love Netflix and the story of Netflix.
1: Once upon a time, analysts and the investing world in general believed that investors were unemotional robots. Guess what? They're not. They're humans. And as such, they are influenced by a bunch of biases that actually hurt their investing returns you might think of overconfidence which can lead you to trade too much which hurts returns confirmation which leads you to seek out opinions that agree with your own so you can miss problems in the company or industry
3: mm-hmm.
1: and recency where you might where you weight recent events more than you should when estimating the likelihood of what will happen in the future with netflix however i'm going to discuss another one and that's called and that is generalizing from your own experience
0: generalizing from your own experience yep
2: mhm
1: we generally know what we like and don't like, which is fine. We get it, but it can get us into trouble in thinking that others are more likely to appreciate the same things than they truly are. I like beer, for instance, and wine. But that I way, like
0: wine. I beer. Noticed, I had a bad childhood experience. I noticed with. you left that word out. Beer. Well, I'll just really briefly tell the story. So, I grew up in Washington D.C., where we have hot summers and those. Who are in this area know that we are a city built on a swamp and one summer when i was 5 years old on our patio on in the back of our Georgetown home we had a problem with slugs slugs this is not I'm 5 years that. old 5 years old slugs don't look good to me now at the age of 51 i didn't really like them at all at the age of 5 they were crawling up on our tables and just kind of hanging out too intimately in too much volume with Our family that summer. And so my mother read that what you can do to get rid of slugs is you put out little cups of beer and they crawl up into the beer and they die. It's true. And it worked. But my association with beer for the next 30 years of my life would be the smell and the sight of melted dead slugs in little cups of beer all around the back of our patio before mom swept them all away at the end of the summer. So I had a negative impression. And really, still do of beer, even though I certainly enjoy my alcohol. So, Jim, sorry for that digression. But you know what? This is a storytelling week, and this is summer. So, and maybe you have a problem with slugs wherever you are, and now you know how to solve it.
1: So, as as I was saying, um, if I thought that David liked beer, and I didn't know about that story, and because I liked beer, I'd been wrong, right? <laughs> yeah, it seems so, as we as we now know. With Netflix, the bias shows up in kind of the opposite way. It's not something you you like that other people might like. It's what do you, well, let me explain. Say you sign up for Netflix and browse through various titles offered up to you, maybe the suggestions list. Stranger Things, nah, Marseille, nah, Adam Sandler, no. Everything it seems is something you've seen before or don't think you'll be interested in Mm -hmm. based on the title, the image, or the brief description. So you conclude that there's nothing there that you'd really like to watch, and what little you do decide to watch bears out that conclusion. So far, so good. The danger comes from overgeneralizing from that. You don't like what's offered, therefore you think others won't like it. And that gets put into your view of the company as an investment. Others probably most probably most others, will find a similar lack of interesting stuff to watch. Therefore, the company won't grow and will be a bad investment mm-hmm. and you decide not to invest. However, everyone is not you and that's hard to remember. What you don't like, others will love and vice versa. Netflix, remember, has a lot of data on what people are watching. They know that some people like Adam Sandler while others don't. But enough to do... But, but enough do like Adam Sandler to justify paying him for several films starring him. Very popular outside the U.S., it seems. You may not like those films, but that's not the correct way to look at it. Do enough people like the material available to justify spending by Netflix? The answer is yes. Netflix probably uses all kinds of metrics and data points. Star, director, producer, genre, movie, television, documentary, feature film, etc., etc., it knows how many people watch that stuff and what they're likely to watch as a result and so they spend money based on that uh, on that data the more they buy that people like the more people will sign up and the company will grow and that's what it's been doing all its existence however i remember seeing comments about what netflix being a bad investment because there's nothing worth watching on netflix quite a few number uh, quite a number of years ago 7 8 something like that Unfortunately for those who thought that way and decided not to invest, they've missed out on a tremendous run. For instance, over the past seven years, Netflix shares are up 830%. And over the past seven years, it's even better. They're up 2,670%. A 27-bagger. A 27-bagger over the past seven years. What a lost opportunity for anyone who generalized from their own personal experience. Mm. So the next time you find yourself thinking along those lines, stop and say... I may not use it, but many others probably do, and then look more deeply into the company before deciding to pass.
0: The end. Thank you, Jim. Very thoughtful and a great point. In each of our stock stories this week, I asked our team to come up with that punch-home lesson, and you did a really nice job talking about the natural bias that we have to generalize off of our own experience—it's not always a bad thing. You just need to be conscious of it. Sometimes you might go into a restaurant and think, "Hey, this lo- this place looks pretty good," and you might buy the stock, and you might be right. And Other people might agree with you.
1: We definitely are human, and we can't—and we probably cannot overcome these biases. But you're right; being aware of them helps us uh, mitigate their effects. Yeah,
0: but your point, especially about Netflix having all the data, is a, is an important one because Netflix. Has a great sense of what people are watching and what they aren't. I think Netflix has more data about that than anything else in the world. And naturally, because they're smart, they develop and purchase content that speaks to those many different audiences. And while I've never spent any time on Netflix because my kids are older, with little kid content, there is a ton of that. And I know a lot of parents appreciate not having to have their kids parked in front of a TV Saturday mornings to see a ton of ads in between cartoons. They just watch ad free. Stuff on Netflix, and I think that's a—I I, I don't know it, but it's out there. It's a big thing for them. So, so we ran a little long this week, but I hope you enjoyed it because behind every stock is a story, and sometimes in this fast-paced world, we tend to not look backward enough, not think enough about what's happened, not reflect sometimes because we don't know exactly what happened. For me, these are all stocks that I know, but I relearned a lot. This week's show, I'd forgotten what I'd written about electronic arts, for example, back in the day. And Enough about me, what about you? For all of our listeners, try to keep in mind or write notes to yourself. Jim Mueller, you've done a great job keeping a journal about your own thoughts about investing over the years. That's something that is rewarding for anybody who takes the time to do it. Behind every stock is a story, and again, sometimes in this fast-paced world, we forget that. But not this week on Rule Breaker Investing, not this summer podcast. We love stories, and I hope you enjoyed those six stories as much as I did. Alright, well, it's mid-July, but it's getting later in July, and next week is the final Wednesday of July. Therefore, it will be Rule Breaker Investing mailbag. Whether you'd like to reflect on some of the stories you heard and learned today, or share your own, love to hear from you. RBI at fool.com is the email address. Of course, you can tweet us out at @RBIPodcast. Uh, On Twitter, uh, if you'd like to be part of next week's mailbag. In the meantime, keep enjoying your summer. I hope it's slug free. Fool on.
3: As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.